Hi, everybody, and welcome to this podcast. We've got a great guest today for you, an expert appraiser, a longtime appraiser, an instructor. You're going to find this fascinating. We're here today with Melissa Bond. Melissa, how are you? I am very well, Tim. How is your family getting along in this time of the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I am happy to say I have a very large family and everyone is well. Now, you live in, in Picayune, Mississippi, right? Yes, I do. Oh. I am South Mississippi in a, a very rural area, very rural market, and um enjoy it. Good. Now, let, let's get everybody uh, a little bit located here. How far are you from, say, uh, Biloxi? I am approximately 45 minutes drive from Biloxi. So I am just above the coast. So I'm still deep south. Okay, good deal. Now, does all your family live close by or are they scattered all over the country? Well, we are not scattered all over the country, but we are scattered in the South. You you get to hear for, from everybody and you know they're safe. Yes, okay. absolutely. All we, right. we do have great communication and they are all safe. A couple of little scares, but we're all safe at this point. All right. Well, that's great, Melissa. Thank you for bringing that up. Now, let me ask you a quick question. In the introduction, you're, you're an appraiser and you're an instructor, etc. So that we know, tell us, if you would please, a little bit about yourself and your background and your education and your training and what you do and why you like it, etc., etc. I am a 27-year certified residential appraiser. I am in love with appraising today more than I've ever been in my 27 years. I have enjoyed this particular profession from the start and as time goes by I just see it as more of a perfect fit day by day. I have been a continuing education provider for 12 plus years now for appraisers, uh, brokers, agents, underwriters, um, lenders, tax assessors, pretty large following there. I'm also a state compliance, state investigator for um, licensing boards. Uh, I have enjoyed doing that because it's opportunity. I look at it as teaching time, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, opportunity to assist someone in honing their skills and refining those skills. Uh, so that has that has just been such a rewarding thing to do. Um, I've also been a federal employee with the Department of Veterans Affairs for quite a few years. I was senior appraiser over the state of Mississippi, of course, taking on new appraisers, uh, vetting those appraisers, and uh, assisting them in becoming the best that they could be for the Department of VA. Uh, also did quite a bit of training for underwriters with VA, so um, really enjoyed doing that. Melissa, thank you. Uh, a follow-up question, if I may. Now, you're certified in how many, certified to appraise in how many states? In only two states. That would be only two states, Louisiana and Mississippi. 
Okay, Louisiana and Mississippi are certified to appraise. Now, in how many states are you certified to teach? Well, right now I am in four states for on-site continuing education. I have developed some courses that are online, and those go to, of course, multiple states across the nation. So go ahead and, and plug your classes. Take, take, take a couple of minutes and plug the classes that you've got out there. Because let's face it, for the next little while, a lot of us are going to be taking CE online. So tell us, <laughs> uh, wh- where, do you t- where, where do you teach the CE? Where can, where can we get in touch with you? Well, I, I will say first off, the online courses, if, and I know that there are some appraisers that simply prefer that format. My online courses are with Appraiser eLearning, a company that I've partnered with that are just absolutely fabulous because they believe in providing quality education. So um, I'm just so excited to be a part of that. And so I have a couple of classes with them now. Uh, One is Appraising Unique Properties, and the other is um, Situations that Lead to Complex Assignments. So both of those uh, you can find with Appraiser eLearning. And then I, of course, do on-site CE, which I find to be a win-win-win situation. I I believe in on-site education. I believe that it's vital for appraisers to be in the same room with their peers. I believe we all learn from each other. I think I have learned more about appraising since I've been um, offering CE classes. You know, we learn from each other. We hear different situations that at some point are going to be laid on our desk. So it gives us an opportunity to hear from our peers. And, you know, Tim, we both know that that just aligns identically with uh, USPAT. So I enjoy the on-site CE. I am, if there are a couple of things that appraisers that have taken my courses know me by is number one, an ironclad work file from start to finish. If you see it and touch it, save it. So um, that is one of my, my pet peeves, I guess. I also enjoy appraising complex properties. I do uh, prefer to take the unique properties because I think that they give us opportunities they challenge us, and there's absolutely no better educator than that. You know, when we truly have to do research, when we have to um, parallel, get into parallel markets, when we have to do three appraisals in one to get one out the door, but we know when we've gotten it out the door, it's a good product. Okay, let's stick for a moment, if we may please, with that concept of the complex, complicated appraisal. Now, with what's going on with COVID-19, obviously there have been some significant changes made, but there were changes being made to the appraisal industry, the real estate appraisal industry, even before COVID-19 started. Let's talk about some of those. For example, what are the similarities between the bifurcated or hybrid appraisals and the new temporary flexibilities today from Freddie and Fannie et al.? Okay, let's let's talk about some of the similarities between the bifurcated and hybrid product and what we're seeing today in the desktop and the exterior only. Um, one of the things that's easy to note is we're not doing an interior site visit. 
are interior inspection. We are what I like to call, when we're doing a desktop, I call us completely blind. You know, the only thing that we have is uh, the data that we can collect to give us some insight into what's actually on that site. So um, the bifurcated and the hybrid, that was the same thing in that case because someone else did the site um, visit and the data collection. And that's really what we're seeing today with the desktop and the exterior only. Third-party data is being provided to us. So that's one of the similarities. The other is that non-appraisers are the ones that are providing this information. In, in a sense, that may sound like a, a good thing, but when we really kind of dig into that, we're relying, we as the appraiser are relying on someone to provide us with information that we need, and they simply don't have the mindset that we have, so they cannot possibly provide as detailed an inf information as we would have collected ourselves. So that blindness, you know, that um, total blindness is a hindrance for appraisers, and it's such a different way of conducting, you know, our valuation process that it kind of stops us in our tracks just a little bit just like when the bifurcated and the hybrids, when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, when trying to modernize uh, process, brought these into being. And, you know, it's just a different world for appraisers because it's just not what they're accustomed to. We tend to trust our eyes the most because this is what we've always done. And this is just the highest and best way for our data collection to take place. So right now, we're, we're living in a bit of a parallel world to that bifurcated and hybrid. Let's run with that for a minute. Now, put your state investigator's hat on. Okay, now, you get the file, you're chatting with the appraiser, and you find out that the effective date of the appraisal is during the uh, uh, coronavirus. So you know that chances are there was not an interior inspection. Is that going to color the way you, as a state investigator, interview that appraiser and come to your conclusions that you'll pass on to the appraisal board? Well, one thing that I would look pretty seriously at is the data that's been collected and the, you know, the way that the appraiser verified it or perhaps even reconciled it with maybe some additional information that was conflicting. You know, how did the appraiser come to a consensus of what is accurate? You know, what is, um, there's a reasonable basis to believe that it's true or factual. And um, what information did the appraiser discount or discard because there wasn't a reasonable basis to believe that it was true and factual, therefore, you know, could not be relied upon. So I would be most interested in, number one, the data that was collected. Secondly, who collected that data? And thirdly, how did the appraiser approach the data? In, in what 
you know, where did they begin the research on that and the verification, if verification could in fact be done. Now, you've mentioned the word verification three times now. Again, state, you've got your state investigator hat on. Let's talk about uh, verification in light of standard rule 1-4. It says the appraiser will collect, verify, and analyze all information necessary for credible assignment results. Now, in the context where the appraiser can't go in the house, in the context where the appraiser is depending on a third-party supplier, be it the homeowner or MLS or the broker or something like that, what is it in that case that you, the state investigator, are looking for relative to verification? I would be looking for a way that the data was reconciled. I would be looking for an attempt to gain additional information or anything that is supporting of that information. It would seem that that would be the only verification that could be in place. So when I use verification, it, it does have a different meaning from when the appraiser actually goes into a home. You know, I'm looking for something to substantiate that you had a reasonable basis to believe this was factual and you could rely on that. So saying, well, I got it from MLS, therefore it has to be right. That sounds like that may not carry any water. Well, that almost sounds like getting it from the Internet, so it must be true. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we all know that there's space aliens out there flying submarines underwater because it's on the Internet. Hello? <laughs> yeah, so it's true. You know, as appraisers, we rely on MLS data daily. I'm going to go so far as to say that we do have an understanding, we do have, uh, are able to grasp in our own markets. The particular agent or broker that has a, a tendency to be factual, a tendency to provide good, reliable information. And we know those that probably have MLS sheets that are a little more sparse and have less information and more advertising in them. You're so thoughtful to put it that way. That's so kind to say they're lying through their teeth. <laughs> well, I, I, I will tell you this. Um, there's a very, very seasoned agent in my area, and I just I have the utmost respect for her. But everything in her MLS sheet, every MLS listing she has is gorgeous. Okay? Gorgeous, gorgeous. The shed is gorgeous. The, the rundown apartment is gorgeous. Everything is gorgeous. And, you know, when verifying sales, I, I will call her and I will say, hey, I'm using this as a comp. Could you give me a little information on this? And almost always I get, oh, Melissa, that place was a dump. <laughs> and it's just, it's so funny because, you know, she's trying to market the property. So she's putting it in its best light. But where I have the greatest respect for her is when an appraiser says, I need the real information, she's ready to give it. She's ready to say, here's the flaws with the property you need to be made aware of. So she's willing, she's willing to tell the truth then. Yes, yes. Oh. And, you can, and you can put some reliance on that. You, can, you put a little confidence in people that kind of shoot straight. You know? Yeah. I, would that it happened more often. 
let's talk about again some more of, of, of what's going on right now. Let's talk about inspecting properties in light of the, the coronavirus. Now, Fannie Mae et al. have said, we really want you to use the 1004 form. And the appraisers are going, okay, but that says I inspected the property when I really didn't. Therefore, am I misrepresenting anything when I use the 1004 form and say I inspected it, but when I really didn't? Is that going to be an issue with state boards? Well, it's not if the proper guidance is followed and disclosed, okay, meaning you know, um, in the map reference field, if the 1004 is utilized and in the map reference field, uh, the appraiser states it is a desktop or it is an exterior and then uses the applicable new assumptions and limiting conditions and certifications that have been provided to align with the appraiser not entering that property but relying on third-party data, then no. Now, if the appraiser fails to disclose all of this process and exactly what's going on and fails to utilize the correct assumptions and limited conditions and certifications, there's going to be a disconnect there. So state boards are, just like everyone else, really kind of swimming through this right now and following the leadership that they have, you know, with the qualifications board, and they're trying to align with that. So your state boards are going to have an understanding, but they're also going to still expect the appraiser to remain USPAP compliant when providing these new desktop and exterior-only products. And, you know, thankfully, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, USDA, VA, FHA, Everyone has stepped up to the plate very quickly and, you know, gave us the tools that we need if this is the product that we're going to put out. So let's let's go back for a second and drill into this to make sure that it's very clear. The appraiser can use the 1004 form, which under normal circumstances requires an inspection. But if the appraiser properly disclaims and discloses that, number one, the appraiser did not inspect the property on the inside, why the appraiser did not inspect the property on the inside, and then includes the proper assumptions and limiting conditions and the proper certification, then using the 1004 form is not misleading. Is that correct? That would be correct. If protocol is followed, yes. And if disclosure is made, you are correct. It would not be misleading. And we have to remember, we're dealing with the the industry recognizes forms, okay? Forms are easy for them, easy to feed into the beast, I'm going to call it. And we all know what that is. So continuing to utilize this form but making those modifications is going to allow, you know, our economy to keep rolling. It's going to allow to keep the purchase market moving. It's going to allow the refi market to continue where perhaps it may have come to a little bit of a, not a halt, but a, a screeching slowdown if these products weren't available. So this truly, truly, in my opinion, is a good thing that we have 
these desktops and these exterior only and all of our GSC guidance and federal overlay guidance, but stepped up to the plate quickly. So it is good for the overall economy. You know, it's just I'm concerned that the appraiser makes certain and keeps themselves aligned with what USPAP would expect from them, even in this time. Okay, staying in compliance with USPAP. By that you mean the appraiser forms the value conclusion in accordance with Standard 1 and then reports the value conclusion in conformance with Standard 2. Is that what you mean? Correct. Absolutely. Okay, now let's change course a little bit. Now, we're looking at some significant changes, not only because of C-19, but even before C-19, we were looking at bifurcated appraisals, we were looking at hybrids, we were looking at uh, contractors inspecting the property, et cetera, et cetera. This had basically uh, come down in a mandate from FHFA telling the lending industry to modernize the appraisal industry. Mm-hmm. Now, let's start out with the first question. What authority, or excuse me, by what authority does FHFA tell the lending industry to modernize the appraisal industry? It sounds to me like that's uh, somebody who has no right to give orders is given orders. Do we have to follow those orders? For secondary market, my answer would be yes. I mean, if you're doing work for the secondary market and in order for um, your client to be able to make this loan eligible for, you know, secondary market purchase, then there are some things that are just going to have to be done in order for that to happen. Now, you move that over into, you know, and we have so many other types of appraisal assignments other than mortgage lending. Sometimes we get caught up in mortgage lending. But when it is mortgage lending, this is the product they're wanting to see. Now, you you know as well as I do, Tim, there's been a lot of resistance to it, a lot of resistance. I think that resistance is going to wear down just a little bit in light of what we are uh, living in real time right now. The appraisers are, and and I'm going to use the word being forced to accept that bifurcated product, but, you know, I mean that in a very uh, positive connotation. I don't mean that in a negative. You know, right now we're being forced to learn a new way of providing our valuation services. You know, I think it can hone our skills if we allow it to. I think there's always going to remain a need for an interior appraisal inspection, site visit. Um, I don't think that should ever go away. I think the more unique a property is, the more it needs to have a full eye on, you know, by the valuation expert. You know, we're we're living in an unprecedented time. We are we are working in an unprecedented moment as well. Let's consider an extension of that question. Okay, we're we're living in an unprecedented time. We are having to change. We're we're having to accept stuff that perhaps under different circumstances, we might not accept, but we really don't have a lot of choice. 
we're looking now at a situation where Fannie is saying, okay, you don't have to do an interior inspection under certain circumstances. Now, if Fannie finds that by not doing interior inspections, the foreclosure rate does not change significantly, do you think Fannie will change its perspective on demanding internal, excuse me, on demanding inspections inside the house for the typical run-of-the-mill appraisal. I'm not talking about the $10 million custom-built house. I'm talking about your basic Joe six-pack appraisal. Do do you think Fannie Mae is going to to modify its stance on internal inspections? I think Fannie Mae is closely monitoring. And I, I do mean closely monitoring what is going on right now, and as you said, how many non-performing loans are going to um, come out of this situation? You know, and, and they look at things in the aggregate, and they expect, and, and you know this, they just expect a percentage of losses. Now, I can understand that from a, a macro standpoint, but when we look at it, Tim, from a micro standpoint, let's talk about you know, Mr. John Doe, who purchased his home, and it happened to be during the pandemic, and perhaps some interior oddities or um, maybe some repair items weren't noted, and things kind of escalated into a point that he it was no longer affordable to keep his own home. And let's just say that goes into foreclosure. Now, Going back to perhaps the GSE standpoint of this, well, you know, we kind of expected a a percentage, and we're within our percentage. We're okay. We're within our percentage of non-performing loans, foreclosures. But you see, Mr. John Doe isn't in that macro mindset. He's, He's in a deficit himself. So what the only thing that I have a problem with, just blanketing, not doing interior site visits, interior inspections, is these are actual people. These are actual, someone could be financially harmed. Someone could be injured, you know, just injured from a perspective of life didn't roll along as expected. Now a a big change is having to happen. So I understand the GSE side of it, but more so I understand Mr. John Doe's side of it. He's, he's an actual person that could be harmed by not allowing a valuation expert to do the data gathering themselves and to assess the situation the way that they should. And, and I do think should is the right word. So do you think that Fannie Mae will change its stance? It'll say, well, you know, let's, we'll, we'll make inspection scope of work. We'll let the appraiser make that decision. Do you think we'll, we'll ever see that? Hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know about that. I think that gives the appraiser too much latitude, and most of us would prefer to do the interior site visit. You know, why? Because it's highest and best. Now, you're, you're, you'll have a segment, you know, there's, there's going to be a market share that, you know, and, and I mean, I can think of it this way. I did an entire subdivision. You know, there were four, there were four plans. It was a new subdivision, you know, new constructions, and there were four plans. You know what? Maybe an interior site visit wasn't that necessary for something like that. 
But you take the monstrosity that I did about two months ago that had functional obsolescence that had just, I'm just going to call it uniqueness on every hand. Okay. Unique, um, uniqueness on every hand. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll remember on that. Every hand. Okay. There just wasn't anything about this property that would fit into the word average. To say that a site visit would not be advantageous in that scenario would be ludicrous. Just because so it, it was such a custom designed, custom built was, house. Well, custom just gives it such a classy name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. We'll take we'll take the euphemistic end of things on that one. <laughs> so I think if the appraiser has the decision and the appraiser is the one that can can say to the client, this is one that needs to be an interior, that would be a wonderful world. That would just be a world that I don't know that would ever exist, but that would be a wonderful world. But I, I see the appraiser leaning more in the site visit arena, more so than the desktop so, or the bifurcated. So your conclusion is that the interior inspection really is a necessary component of the typical residential real estate appraiser. Do I understand that correctly? If, if I had to gauge by the appraisers that I know, my answer to you is yes. Absolutely, by far, the appraisers that want to be inside, on-site, viewing the interior far outweighs the appraisers that will opt for the desktop or the exterior only, if given a preference in the scope of work. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap up, uh, Melissa, and let's talk about, like, I'm going to ask you to put your state investigator hat back on. Okay, you're... You're sitting down with the appraiser. You're talking about what's going on. Your job is basically to be neutral, to, to gather the facts so the state appraisal board itself can make the decision that it needs to make relative to taking the complaint to a full charge or just dropping a complaint before anything happens. Now, the appraiser sitting in front of you, the appraiser is all nervous, and the appraiser starts talking. What is it, if, if you could switch sides, if all of a sudden, instead of becoming the state investigator, you were advising the appraiser, what would you advise the appraiser not to do or not to say? Mm, wow. Okay. Several things run through my mind, and I will tell you that I have, I have attended many adjudicatory hearings, and just as an, an, a bystander, just as someone in the in the audience. And many times when I hear an appraiser explaining, when they are asked, why did you do this or why, no matter what the this is, why, um, the, the absolute worst answer they can say is, you know, I was taught to do it that way. Or my supervisor said, or 30 years ago, when I first started appraising, here's how we did this. Those are just not the right answers. Many times we tend to we tend to reveal too much. Um, out of nervousness, I'm certain. Many times I just want to stand up and say, please stop right now. Please don't speak anymore. Just let them form their own opinion. It's better. Because we, we do tend to discuss things other than proven methodology. 
you know, recognized appraisal methods. We, we don't tend to use those as our answer. We, we tend to give excuses just as, as, a, as a, a defense. We just tend to give excuses for what we did, and that's just not the best approach. So uh, you're saying, Melissa, that what they told you to do 30 years ago and that you have just accepted blindly and have been doing for 30 years might not be the answer to present to the board, right? No, the appraiser should not use the words, I've always done it that way, as a defense. You know, we we are required to continue to stay abreast of the latest techniques, the latest methodologies that are available to us. We have so many analytical tools at our disposal now. Uh, not only should we utilize them, but we need to learn how they fit out the results that they do. You know, we need to understand how those tools function. We have to have a grasp of what we're seeing around us and not just maybe regurgitate uh, information. Uh, we have to, the whys are important. Um, when we're reconciling data, when we're reconciling our approaches to value, when we're analyzing, we, we need to understand why we're doing this and not just get in a pattern, you know, maybe a, a lazy pattern of you know, boilerplate city, and every appraisal looks just like the last one. You know, we need to keep ourselves abreast of the ever-changing environment that we have. Melissa, thank you. You are so kind to jump in here and take time out of your busy schedule to advise us. That was great wisdom about explaining the why we do something. Not merely the that, but the why, the critical thinking element. Now, again, you we, we talked about the fact that you teach a lot of classes. Do you have any live classes coming up? Well, for right now, I have um, canceled quite a few of my on-site courses. Now, uh, uh, Melissa, if someone needed to spend a little bit more time with you one-on-one -on -one than we've been able to spend here, if someone wanted to consult with you, how would they get in touch with you? I am very easy to find. I have a website. It is CE for continuing education, ceinstructor.com, and my email address is mbond, B-O-N-D, just like my name, at datastar.net, and you will find that on my website. You can also send me an email. You can call. I will give you my number, um, 601-916-6501. So that makes it very easy for anyone that wants to chat with me. Melissa, thank you. I appreciate your being with us. Now, again, give us your email address one more time. What is it? Mbond at what? At datastar.net. Mbond at datastar.net. Excellent. Okay. That's it. Again, That's it. let me thank you. The listeners thank you. The industry thanks you. And let me wish my personal best and the listeners' personal best to you and all of your family. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Tim. I have so enjoyed this. I have long since admired you. You are, you are such an asset to our profession, 